May 20th, 2022, this morning's class is donated by James and Rishi Haddad in honor of the upcoming marriage of their daughter, Esther Lee, to Mr. Isaac Sayed. It's donated as well by Sarah and Nathan Cohen in honor of their new baby girl. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin, and if you count from the bottom upward, it's nine lines up, it's three words before the end of the line. The Gemara is wrapping up, something I tried to do yesterday, wasn't able to do. Time had its way upon me. Um, anyway, the Gemara is wrapping up its discussion and its uh, proof of sorts that in Dorot Harishonim, in the earlier generations, there was a capability, and maybe even a tendency, that men or women were able to become or to bring forth a baby at the age of eight. Now that was relevant to our sugya and discussion that we had earlier, but at this point we just need to finish that conversation with the last and most definitive proof as the Gemara has it. Now the Gemara at no point is suggesting that's the reality today. Even according to Beit Shammai who model their halakha after that, They'll just argue that the age of eight is therefore an age which we considered a ma'asebia, and as a result, it'll cause problems in that terrible circumstance of a mother and child if there was ha'ara'a. But nobody will argue that today you can or would be able to even biologically bring forth a child at that age. The question only is, can we model it after that generation? Says Beit Shammai, yes. Answers Beit Hillel, no. But Beit Shammai needs to even prove, according to the Gemara, that there was such a reality in the Dorot HaRishonim. The Gemara had swung and struck out, or almost struck out twice. The Gemara has its last chance and it pulls it off. Ela minalan says the Gemara, rather, where is it from in the Torah? Can we bring some sort of semich, some sort of partial proof that uh, birth at the age of eight is, was a capability? Mehacha says the Gemara, it's from here. Ubzalel ben Uri ben Hur lemate Yehuda. Pazuk says that the, uh, the craftsman, the constructor of the Mishkan, was a man whose name was Bitzalel. Now, Bitzalel's father's name was Uri. It's always fascinating, right? His name was Bitzalel, Bitzelkel. He was in the shade of God, Ben Uri. Uri is the father, the light. And then his father, in turn, was Hur. So it means the grandfather of Bitzalel is Hur. Okay, he's from the tribe of Yehuda. And again, he constructs the Mishkan. Keep that in mind. Briefly, Uchtiv, and then the Pasuk says in Sefer Divrei Hayamim, Vatamot Azuva, who was the wife of Kalev, Vaikah lo Kalev et Efrat, Vateded lo et Hur. So this is interesting. It means that we put the father of Hur is Kalev, right? Kalev is married to a woman, as it states. We'll tell you what the Midrash says in a second. Uh, his first wife dies, he gets remarried, and he has a child named Hur, which means that Kalev is the great-grandfather of Bitzalel, who's the son of Uri, who was the son of Hur, who's the son of Kalev. Just very briefly, the Gemara and Masechet Sota uh, suggests, maybe on Yod, suggests that both Azuva and Efrat are referring to Miriam. According to the Hakamim, Miriam was married to Kalev, but the Pasuk says that she died. The, the death in this circumstance is matched up with her name, Azuva. Azuva, of course, means the abandoned one, the neglected one. It's a reference to after Miriam is afflicted with Sarat, and at the end of Parashat Beha'alotecha, we read about how she speaks Lashon Hara about Moshe. She gets Sarat, she's distanced. 
That's what the Torah says. She had to go out of the camp, just like we found out later on. All misoraim, or earlier, all misoraim were supposed to uh, was supposed to happen to them. And then afterwards, so it's, so to speak, a second communion between she and her husband Kalev. Okay, but that's that's not important to us. The important part to us is that the great grandfather of Bitzalel is Kalev. It means if I trace myself up several generations, I find my way to. Kalev, all right? Well, that's to keep in mind. Now, How old was Bitzalel when he constructed the Mishkan? Says the Gemara, at the very least. Now, if you make him younger, it'll make things even... Uh, if you make him older, make things even better for our argument. But at the very least, he was Bartlesar. He's at least 13 years old when he constructs the Mishkan. Why is he at least 13 years old when he constructs the Mishkan? Because Pasuk says, Ish ish asher hemma osim. Uh, Well, the Pasuk says that it was a man or men who helped in the construction of the Mishkan. It means that the head craftsman and architect had to be at least 13 years old to qualify him in the general sense of the Torah as an Ish. All right. Again, as I said, you might ask, ah, who said? Maybe he's 25. If he's 25, it only makes matters more strong with regards to the conversation we're about to have. So at the very least, he's 13 years old. Vitanya, and we can we have a Beraita, which furthermore explains to us, The Mishkan was really constructed in the first year of leaving Egypt, that we have in the Torah. Hekim, it then has Hakamata Mishkan at the very beginning of the second year, that's the erection of the Mishkan. Vishalah Meragelim, and the sending out of the spies also takes place, or the scouts takes place in year two as well. All right. So we have a little bit of chronology, adding it to the mixture. Uchtiv, and furthermore, the Pasuk says, Kalev, speaking about himself at the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua, Ben Arbaim Shana Anochi, Beshalah Moshe. Evet Hashem. All right. So now we have in year two of the desert, Kalev is 40 years old. Okay. So 40 years old is in year two. Remind me how old was Bezalel in year two then? At least 14. He was 13 at the beginning of the construction of the Mishkan. The Mishkan put, put up in year two. So he's at least 14. Okay, continues the Mish- continues the uh, Gemara. Ve'ata. Okay, and this is this is Kalev speaking in Sefer Yoshua. Ve'ata hine anochi hayom ben chamesh u'shmonim shana. Okay, we're just filling out the pasuk. He's speaking forty-five years later. Means five years into the entrance of Eretz Yisrael, uh, or four years into the entrance uh, uh, of Eretz Yisrael, because he was forty in year two. So okay. Anyway, says the Gemara. Kamah v'yalehu. So how old was Kalev again in year two? Arbe'in. He's forty. Okay, now we want to trace, keep in mind, we want to trace Kalev and in turn his grandfather and his father to the year of Bitzalel's birth. Yes, we want to trace that back. So it means if he was 40 in year two of the desert when Bitzalel was 14, the way we're going to find out how old Kalev, the great-grandfather was, call it at the Milah or whatever, at the birth of Bitzalel, it's 40 minus 14, which leaves us at... 26, imagine the circumstance, the milah, you have the great-grandfather walks into the room and, uh, you know, his voice is still changing, not really, but he's 26 years old. Dal arbesar dehava bitzalel, subtract 14, which is the age of bitzalel, pasha lehu, you're left with isrim veshit. All right, so we have 26 years old at the very most, we'll see in a moment, 
at the birth of Bitzalel, but it's not really 26 because Dal Tarteshane Ditlata Ibure. So yes, he was 26 years old, excuse me, at the birth, but now I want to subtract as well, and I'll tell, we'll understand why in a second, two from that number of 26. Not to trace the age, certainly was, was that age at the birth, but to try to determine now how old each of these other men were during the times that they impregnated or had a child together with their wives. So we want to subtract from this number of 26, Two, because we, we estimated yesterday that the general birth period or, or pregnancy period is eight months. We're dealing with three generations, Kalev to Hur, Hur to Uri, and Uri to Bitzalel, that's eight times three is. 24 is two years, it's 20, two years, so we're gonna do 26 minus two, brings me to 24. It means I have to, I have to uh, divide 24 years between three fathers leading to the generation of Bitzalel. 24 divided by three is eight. That means that it appears that each one of these fathers was about eight years old at the birth of their child. I can't explain this to you in today's biology, certainly. I can tell you that's what the Gemara's final proof is in this context. It says the Gemara, Ishtikah, it then emerges, we find the call had vehad, each one of these. And who's each one of these? Kalev, Hur, and lastly, Uri, the father of Bitzalel was Bitameh, we switched the Taf with Hashin, at eight, Olid, they gave birth. That's it, the Gemara rests with that. Of course, you would have the uh, claim that uh, Teddy uh, Chatham made yesterday, and that is even here, are we to be certain, because sometimes the Torah rounds up numbers. We know that for certain. The Torah says, Arba'im yakennu. You strike him 40 times, and we know that the halakha has its 39 lashes, the hachamim tell us. We know, Bishiba'im nefesh. There were 70, I'm, I'm quoting you, Teddy, good timing. 70 nations who came into Eretz Misraim. If you count it, it's one less. Of course, the hachamim give an explanation. Alternatively, some of the Pashtanim say there's a rounding up. The Gemara over here is being very literal in terms of the numbers. That is certainly what it is supposing and dealing with in order to arrive at this number. Ultimately speaking, Morris Bannon, if it makes you unhappy, just rest assured it only aids Beit Shammai. You have until Yomot HaMashiach to worry about that. In the meantime, we're Beit Hilel Jews. Anyways, that's the Gemara here at the very bottom. Ben Velobat. The Mishnah told us that the Derasha is Ben Soreru More. Quite simply, Ben is a male as opposed to a Bat, which is a female, you won't have a bat sorer umore, irrespective of details of what she does, how she does it, you'll never have a daughter or a woman who will become a bat sorer umore. I will assure you again, as Charles pointed out to us early on, that the Gemara coming up, it's, it'll take a few more days to get there, will tell us that there's a major opinion in the Gemara, there was never a ben sorer umore, it happens to be a mahloket, so don't get too nervous about sons either, but at the very least it's impossible, you'll never have a daughter who's a bat soreru more. and we talked about this at the time in the Mishnah, I quoted to you from the Gemara, says the Gemara, Tanya Amar Bishim'on, Bedin Hu, a day later, Bedin Hu Sheteheh Bat Reuya Lihiyot Keben Soreru More, Bedin, like, uh, like enonchin min hadin. Bedin means logically speaking, the word din in the Gemara refers to logic, logically speaking, a daughter a woman, a young woman, could or should be like a Ben Soreno More. Why not? She should be put to death 
for the same actions. After all, pause for a second, he doesn't spell this out for us. The reason for Ben Soreru More, we'll read at the top of Dav Ayn Aleph, Amud Aleph, in the eyes of the Hachamim, is if this is the gluttonous, lustful behavior they're exhibiting as a child, the Torah tells us they're going to be so much worse in the future. When it comes to a male in the future, the vision, the fear is, they'll be stealing in order to get money to continue their drives for meat and for wine and that sort of activity. When it comes to a woman, says Rabbi Shimon, can you imagine what she might do in the future in order to uh, procure those sorts of foods? Uh, when it comes down to it, a woman, as opposed to a man, whereas the male, says the Gemara, might have to go and pilfer, might have to steal in order to uh, get the money to buy the meat and wine in the future. We say, let's cut this off before we get to that. A woman, the vision of the Hachamim, has an easier time. She'll be able to be sleeping with men in order to get money. She'll be able to act as a zona in the future. And as a result, we should fear that she too, if she's acting in such a gluttonous way right now, this carefree ma- manner to life, and she's now indulging in all this. Can you imagine in the future when she needs the money? She might not steal from her father per se, but she'll do something, dare I say it, worse in sleeping with other men in order to get the money. As a result, shouldn't we have a batsoreru more, says the Gemara, Ela Gezera Takatubi. Ben velobat. However, we rest, says Rabbi Shimon, with the Pasuk in the Torah. The Torah says Ben, we understand it as Ben velobat. The logic here is a little difficult, says Rabbi Shimon. We accept it as such. You do have circumstances where we rest without logic. Oftentimes we'll look anyway for the logic. You know, it comes to the famous example, the Mishnah Masech Berachot. Which has the statement of a person who says, Al kan sipor If a person says, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, your mercy should come to us, let's say, or should uh, manifest itself like it does, or like we do on Kan Sipor, which is a reference to the mitzvah of Shiluah Hakan, of sending away the mother bird. Uh, what's the statement? Meshatekinoto says the Mishnah. You tell that person to be quiet. It's specifically in the context of prayer, if they mention that, in terms of God's mercy. Why are we keeping quiet? You're, so to speak, turning God's actions and mitzvot into, into rahamim, into mercy. But they're only gezerat akatub. Why do we follow gezerat melech? Why do we follow the words of God? Because that's what He decreed. It's a very, very confining, limiting statement. Don't get into. Don't be talking about the reason for this, or the reason for that. And you're talking to God in such a fashion. Just keep quiet and just do it. It's a very limiting statement. The interesting thing is, Harambam quotes that in his Mishneh Torah, and then in his Moreh Nevuchim, he talks about the logic, the merciful side of Shiluah Hakan. So which one is it? I thought you have to tell the guy, Scott, if you're talking like that, keep quiet. We don't talk like that. Alternatively, Harambam himself, who's posek la that way, in his Moreh Nevuchim searches and seeks out and finds a reason for Shiluah Hakam, which has to do with imbuing human beings with a certain merciful trait. Ramban Nachmani writes so in his commentary to the Torah as well. So the, there's debates about this. One approach, not one that I subscribe to, is Harambam wrote to, with two different uh, audiences in mind. His Mishneh Torah for the masses, I gotta write what it says in the Mishnah. His Moreh Nebuchim for the scholars, we could be a little bit more daring and audacious. Difficult for me to accept, very difficult. Harambam 
we respect as a person who's, who wrote with honesty. Anyone who writes with honesty needs to be clear, needs to be clever in the way that they write, certainly to get across messages. But if you're going to write something in the halacha book that you don't agree with, ah, it's a little bit far. And he's very clever in the way that he will take halacha in different directions. But to write something that he completely neglects, alternatively, there's a book called Harambam Keposeku Kefilosof. I think it's written by a Levenger, and then Yaakov Levenger, I think is the name. He suggests something along the following lines. I've subsequently found in a lot of other books along this line. And the statement goes as follows. What's your first, what's your knee-jerk response to a mitzvah in the Torah? The knee-jerk response to the mitzvah in the Torah is, I fulfill this because it's Gezirat Melech. That's the statement. That's why I'm fulfilling it. Now that I'm going to perhaps after the fact philosophize about why or how I'm doing this, okay, that might be appropriate. But the first response is Gezerat Melech. If your first response is, wow, Kadosh Baruch Hu, look at this mitzvah, it's so wonderful because, stop with the because, it's so wonderful, stop, Gezerat Melech. Now I can search for the reason and how it affects me. It's reminiscent of Harambam in Peregimah Lavilchot Shofar Halacha Dalet, where he writes about Shofar, Afapi, even though the Shofar is Gezerat HaKatuv, nonetheless, Rambam stating that purposefully. He doesn't just say, this is what the shofar does for you. Uru, uru, yesheni, meshenatchem. It wakes you up from your, from your spiritual slumber. He starts with the following statement. That's why I fulfill it. I accept that. I am first and foremost in the, the army of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Secondly, okay, but how's it going to affect me? He doesn't want me to suffice with that, does he? He wants me to be impacted in some way, so let's search for that. That's how I understand this Gemara as well. The Gemara does cut it, but Rabbi Shimon stops and he says, That's not to say, I'm not going to set it forth for you right now because I don't have a clear vision, but it's not to say that you shouldn't afterwards delve and say, maybe there is a difference between men and women. Maybe a boy is different than a girl for some reason or another. It's not going to change. There's a danger in that if that's how I begin. There's no danger if I begin by saying, this is the Gezerat HaKatub. I accept that. Let me try to understand it further. Okay, next. Says the Mishnah, Me'ematai Hayav. The Mishnah continues to talk about Ben Soreru More. It is, after all, the name of our Perek. We're going to try to keep to it as much as possible. From what stage is a child, Hayav Sekila, for being considered a Ben Soreru More, says the Mishnah, Mishiyochal Tartimar Basar Vishte Hasi Log Yayim. It's from the stage where the child eats Tartimar. Rashi tells us the Gemara is going to wonder what is a Tartimar? It's a measurement of Basar. What we do understand immediately, though, for one reason or another, it's a very large measurement of, of, uh, of meat. Hatzilog is a huge measurement as well of wine. It doesn't just say wine, it says Italian wine. All right, a very fine wine. I don't know, Italian wine is not fine any longer, is it? French wine is, uh, is, is fine. All right, regardless, it's a very fine wine, Rashi points out to us. So it means the kid is really, he's got the right taste. Harambam does not mention Italian wine when he mentions the Salakha. Harambam, as Kesef Mishneh points out, seems to understand this as fine wine. And if it's not from Italy, it's considered fine wine if it's so determined. I don't know who you speak to, maybe Dr. Medeb or someone you speak to, Azar. Uh, you find out what fine wine is, is determined by uh, for this. Uh, Harambam, that's right, Joey said. Okay. Okay. Uh, Harambam, uh, furthermore, and Kesef Mishneh calls attention to this as well, Harambam seems to say that it needs to be swallowed uh, in one swallow, which is an amazing thing. And the wine needs to be, so to speak, gulped 
involved in one gulp. That's uh, a scary thought to uh, ponder. Uh, what Radvaz and others point out is he doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that the child will only be considered ben sorero more if he sits there, crushes it up, and stops, and he says, Elishem Yehud, and swallows it all. That's not the way we're referring to. We're referring to in one sitting. In other words, this is gluttonous. I'm going and I'm getting the huge, there used to be, whatever, there used to be in Israel, a restaurant. I remember when I was younger, you got a special t-shirt if you were able to finish the steak there. They used to give you a huge steak. I, I, I promise you, I never ate. I know it wasn't glad. I remember I wanted to as a kid. My father said, it's not, it's not glad. So if you did, don't, don't admit it anyway. But that's, that's what it's referring to. It's referring to one sitting. That was a gluttonous uh, experience. That's what it's referring to, says, say the Mifashim of Haram Baba. Okay, continues the Mishnah. It says, that's the first opinion. That's the opinion of Hachamim, Rabbi Yoseomer, Mana Basar Velog Yain. And the Gemara will point out that the second measurement, Log Yain, is clearly doubling the Hachamim. Hachamim said Hatzilog, and in turn the Gemara will say, now we know what a Tartimar perhaps is. We can suggest it's a t- double mana. What's a mana? A large measurement. I'm sure in the Gemarot they'll give you some sort of, I don't know, pounds or, or ounces. I don't know. I know it's a large amount. Chalas, I'm not dealing with Ben Soreru More, the Halakha, I can accept it. Says Gemara, it says the Mishnah onward, and we won't explain these until we get to the Gemara, why it's so, but the following cases will not be, some of them will be easy to understand, will not be considered a Ben Soreru More. If the eating and drinking takes place, aval haburat misvah, at a se'udat mitzvah, I'll call it today's day and age, at a berit milah. And I remember when I was in Israel, at berit milah, they were, at least in my circles, they were makpid, it had to be meat. I mean, the Mishnah is talking about se'udat mitzvah. The halakha oftentimes talks about se'udat mitzvah being with meat and with wine. I had a baby boy, and I told it to my parents. They were coming, they were paying for the bris. Uh, not very excited about this. There was nothing else. I found one caterer who would come to, across the street from Mir Yeshiva, and cater dairy, but I was the outcast. I was the strange one who did it with dairy. But anyway, se'udat mitzvah, oftentimes, even today, you try to have meat and wine at se'udat mitzvah. Again, it's everything is relative in today's don't, don't please don't try with your children or grandchildren everything's relative in today's day and age dairy is made to be very fancy you can do a se'udat mitzvah even lechatechila with dairy as well okay so that wouldn't be considered ben sorero more if the eating is done and drinking at a se'udat mitzvah uh, they used to throw parties in order to get out the word that we were me'aberet ha'chodesh again we would determine each one of the months whether it's going to be a 30 day month or a 29 day month if we were making a 30 day month we need to get out the word how do you get out the word today? If you want to publicize something, you want to recruit people, you serve food in a fancy restaurant and so you do a, a dinner or a party. That was the same thing then. So they did that. If the child is eating all that meat and drinking all that wine at that party, not considered a ben sorero more. The next circumstance, again, we'll read them, we'll understand them. We won't understand why until we read it in the Gemara. ma'aser sheni urmasim. If uh, the person were to eat, uh, to steal the money from his father, says Rashi, filling in the gaps over here, and in turn take that money and purchase with it. It was money of Ma'asir Shini. Ma'asir Shini is on years one, two, four, five of the Shemitah cycle. You were to take a tenth, you were to tithe your produce and take that either produce or the value of that produce and bring it to Jerusalem and have a lot of food. That's, that's the fascinating thing. Imagine you had a farm the, the, the size of today. I mean, you had to eat a tenth of that every single year, every single one of those years in Jerusalem. It's an amazing number. You brought a lot of family members and split and you didn't have refrigeration. I, was, I've, I have more than once thought about how, how amazing that could 
or should be according to halacha. Anyway, it says, so if you use if you used that at maaseh sheni money which was stolen in order to become a ben soreno more, you're not considered ben soreno more along the same line. If you were to eat nevelot or trefot, different types of meats which are not kosher, trefot means the meat. Uh, the animal was going to die within a short period of time, and it was slaughtered appropriately, but that's considered taref. Nevela means it wasn't slaughtered appropriately. Different ways that we are makpid, halakha, to slaughter appropriately, wasn't. That's considered nevela, shekasim, remasim, as different types of uh, creatures and flying uh, creatures which are not kosher. If you ate any of these, well, not the right thing to do. You're going to get lashes. Well, you're a child. Maybe you're not going to get lashes. You're certainly not going to be put to death with sekila as a ben soreru more. We skip those parentheses. Achal davar shehu mitzvah v'davar shehu avera. We don't have a definition to that now. If you ate something as a child, you're not considered ben soreru more if it was a devar mitzvah, something having to do with a mitzvah, something having to do with a sin. Alternatively, achal kol ma'achal. If you ate any food, velo achal basar. But it wasn't meat. Shata kol mashke. You ate any drink, you drank any drink, but it wasn't wine. But you did it gluttonously. Did you see what the guy did? He sat at the table all day. He went to an all-you-can-eat and he ate out the whole place. Ben Sorero More. Not so. Enona Asa. Any of these cases, including those last ones. Enona Asa Ben Sorero More. That's an amazing thing, especially those last two. Those last two, eating and drinking other matters, the Torah only says, Zolel Vesove. We'll have to define those words accordingly, but uh, something having to do with He's going out of line with his pursuits of pleasure and desires. Where does it say ever in the Torah explicitly that it's meat and wine? Says the Mishnah, we don't have an absolute proof to that, but we have a tradition on that. Afalp, uh, what's the Mishnah? The Mishnah says, Shene Emar Zolel Vesoveh. As the Pasuk says, this Zolel Vesoveh, Afalp, Shein Ra'ya Even though that's not a full-fledged proof, the Torah says Zolel Vesoveh doesn't say Zolel with wine or meat or Soveh with wine or meat. We nonetheless have some sort of what we'll call zecher. We have a way of it, the Torah hinting it to us. How so? Because the pasuk in Mishle, you understand what we're doing? We're comparing a pasuk in Mishle to define a pasuk in the Torah, in Parashat Kitesia, that's not called a Re'ayah, and might be that Shelomo HaMelech in Mishle is using the words a little bit differently. That's why we don't call it a proof, we call it a zecher, Shene Emar, listen to the pasuk in Mishle, Al-Tihi Yain, there's the word Soveh, which we have Zolel Vesoveh, and it's, conjo- it's, it's put together with Yain, wine, and the Pasuk continues, and it says Bezolele Basar Lamo, there's the Zolel, Zolel Vesoveh, Zolel with Basar, with Again, that's not a full-fledged proof. I could use the words in the Torah, as did Shilomo, and I could skew them a little bit. I could use it and share something in a different circumstance. Nonetheless, says the Mishnah, that's the halacha. That would be considered the zechel Says the Gemara, Amar bizera tartimar ze eni mahu. What is that tartimar? We said the measurement of meat that the child eats is a tartimar basar. Told you in the Mishnah, we don't know what it is. Rashi told us that. We don't know what it is. Says Bizera, I really don't know what it is, but I can use contextual clues to try to figure it out. It says, if you followed in the Mishnah, as I pointed out to you, Rabbi Yoseh, after the Hachamim said that when it comes to wine, whereas Hachamim said half a log, which is a measurement, Rabbi Yoseh said a full log. 
All right, that was interesting. It means he doubled. That means, uh, look at Rabbi Yosef when he talks about meat, and he says it's a mana, which is a measurement. It means a tartimar of the hachamim beforehand was half a mana. Perhaps, it doesn't need to be like that, but it's a decent proof in terms of context. Tartimar perhaps is a hatsimana. Continues the Gemara and says, Amar of Hanan bar Molada. Says Rashi, that was the name of his father, Molada. Whenever there's a strange and uh, name that we don't see often or ever else, Rashi points out that was the name of the father. Amar eno hayav achi kah basar bezol v'yochal yayin bezol. So the statement here of Ravuna, first logically, which Rashi fills in the gaps on, and then textually, it's not a full-fledged dirasha, it's a semich ladavar. Logically, it works as follows, explains Rashi and our Gemara. He says, this child, if our fear is they're going to become so conditioned to this eating and drinking of these fine meats and fine wine, in the future they're going to come to steal in order to buy it, well, if they're used to as a child... I don't know, on one sitting, two sittings, they eat it, they're drinking this wine, which is 15 times the regular value of wine. When they get older, you, it's hard to imagine, says Rashi, that they're going to steal money in order to buy wine of that value. They realize, I have an opportunity right now to have very expensive wine. If that's what they're used to when they're older, they're not going to be able to steal to that extent to get that sort of wine. We don't have that fear. We say they're gluttonous now. They somehow had access to this very fine wine now. When they get older, they're somehow going to have to get out of this habit because they can't continue that wine. Rather, the wine and meat that we refer to is when it was cheaper. It might be fine. Indeed, it is. It does have to be fine. The yain ha'italki, we said, and fine meat we'll see in a moment. But it needs to be that they got it cheap. They got it bezol. And there's a derasha, the zolel in the pasuk. We're reading not only as that gluttonous activity, but rather as milashon zol. Zol refers to cheapness. Continues the Gemara and it says, Ve'amar uh, hanan bar molada, amar huna, eno hayav yochal basar hai, yayin hai. says, furthermore, you should know, it's only when the meat is raw that he's used to eating, and the wine is what we call raw as well, meaning it hasn't been diluted at all. Why so? Well, uh, already we can kind of understand that if it's overly uh, diluted on the wine and there's a problem in and of itself, that's no longer fine wine if it's too diluted. If the meat is cooked, we won't imagine that the tendency of this child in the future will be to eat that sort of meat because if he's a thief, if he's a robber, we assume he's on the run. He doesn't have time to have the perfect uh, uh, roast and uh, cook of, um, and, and color of his meat. And as a result, we envision from this age that he's getting into the wrong habits when it's basar hai, when it's raw meat. The Gemara will in just a moment say not actually raw. And yayin hai, and the Gemara will in just a second say not actually undiluted, but it means a little bit less on both. Ini, says the Gemara, is it really so? That it's absolute raw meat, that's the only way it's considered a, a ben soren moren, it's an absolute undiluted wine. Don't we have a statement in unison from Rabba and Rav Yosef, if the child is eating raw meat, we have quite the opposite statement. You're not considered ben soren moren, which makes sense, that's not high quality stuff. We're nervous that the child's going to be involved in quality eating and as a result need to steal for that in the future. If it's undiluted wine, if it's meat which is absolutely raw, it's not what they're going to be involved with. 
we're not nervous about that. As a result, says the Gemara, it's something in the middle. Amar Avina, Yain Hai, Mazig Velo Mazig. Basar Hai, Bashil Vela Bashil, Ke Basar Kiba de Achle Ganve. Says Ravina instead, what we referred to initially was something in the middle. The statement goes as follows It needs to be meat, which is not fully meat. It's scorched, it appears from the words of Rashi in defining this. What does it mean? Scorched it means it's on its way to being cooked. It's not fully raw, it's not disgusting, but it's not fully cooked. We imagine this child in the future, the fear is he'll be involved in thievery. It's not going to have time to fully cook it, but he'll initially cook it. Furthermore, the one Wine can't be fully undiluted wine. Uh, we haven't tried it today, I don't think, but it's terrible. It's, it's dangerous, perhaps, as well, says the Gemara, and therefore it's somewhat diluted. Not diluted to the extent that people might generally drink it, but somewhat diluted. Question? If he's involved in thievery, but not the wine and meat, he wouldn't be considered a... Correct. It's not considered a... Because, yes, you're, you're making the case for this never happening. I understand. I understand. Now, he, he can't and shouldn't be any of those things, but he's not a Ben Sorero More if he is any of those things. And again, you might then say, so we're wasting space, Lo Aleinu in the Torah. The answer to that is we're talking about values, like everything else. We learned all this. The Gemara's Lashon will be Derosh Vekabel Sachar, which sounds like it's just for the learning. It's more than just for learning. What they mean in that is you learn it and you derive values even if they're not ever practical. Says the Gemara, Rabbav Rav Yosef Damre Tarvayu Achal Basar Maliach this is an interesting statement because it has a little bit of halakhic ramifications. We'll see in a moment. Rabbi and Rav Yosef, again, in unison stated that if it was basar maliach, basar maliach literally means salted meat. Now, it refers to meat which was left salted for an extended period of time prior to cooking. You needed to salt it a little bit, but this was left out salted a while, and as a result, the quality is down. The quality is not good quality. It's too salty. It's not a skirt steak. It's uh, disgusting. It's overly salted. Yain migito. Yain migito is before the fermentation of the, of the uh, grapes, uh, which was turned into wine. It's what we today would refer to as grape juice. Uh, that's yain migito, which means the wine from his press. Uh, from his press. It's before you actually left it out. You're not considered ben sorero more. Interesting. Why not? Says the Gemara, let's deal with this. Let's try to understand what the deficiency in each of those cases is. Tenan hatam. Let's start by comparing it to Erev Chabe'av. Erev Chabe'av, in the Se'udah that you have before Chabe'av, you're not supposed to be joyous. It's not allowed to be a festive meal. To the extent that the Mishnah says in Masechet Ta'anit, Erev Chabe'av, lo yochaladam shenet havshilin. You're not supposed to have two cooked dishes. Why not two cooked dishes? Because that's already festive. One cooked dish, chalas, eat like a simple person without that happy, joyful nature. Velo yochal basar, there's no meat to be eaten at that meal. Velo yishte yayin, you can't drink wine. That's festivity, that's en simhailab basar vayayin. Vitana, and the Beraitan explaining that Mishnah Masechet Ta'anit with regards to Erev Chaba'av explains, aval ochel hu basar maliach veshotei yayin migito. However, you're allowed to have meat which is maliach, which is salted because it's not high quality meat. We don't consider that happy meat, meat which will give you joy. And you're furthermore, an Erev Chabe'av, allowed to have grape juice at the meal. Right, I'm going to pause there, and we'll continue in the Gemara next time, but I want to talk about that just for the last two minutes. Wait a second, grape juice is not considered yayin? Is that so? What about Kiddusha on Friday night? What about Arba uh, Kosot on Pesach? Where does that leave us with regards to those halachot? If it's not considered wine, 
then we probably can't be using it. Shohan Aruch, before I go onward, and Siman Ayn Resh Bet, we don't say Resh Ayn Bet, it sounds like hunger, we say Ayn Resh Bet and Saif Bet, quotes from the Gemara and Masechet Bava Batran Dafza Design. The Gemara Masechet Bava Batran Dafza Design talks about the fact that when it comes to Nisachim, when it comes to libations on the Mizbeach, ideally, Lechatechila, you didn't use Yain Migito. The Halachan, the Gemara over there tells us that if it's Bidi'avad, it's not ideal for Nisachim, libations on the Mizbeach, it's not nonetheless koshered when it comes to lechatechila kiddush. So you can rest assured, Shohan Aruch tells us already, it's kosher lechatechila to use yayin migito, to use what we call grape juice today. All right, that being the case, we can heave a sigh of relief. However, there's problems here. The problems comes later on when we realize that the way grape juice today is produced is in such a fashion that we inject chemicals into it to make it so that it can never become an intoxicating beverage. Let's pause for a second. The only reason, says Rashbam, in that Gemara Masechet Bava Batra, that Yain Migito is koshered is because it has the capability to become wine. It might be that you're drinking it as grape juice, but it could become wine. If it can't become wine, well, maybe you changed it from the kosher Yain Migito to the non-kosher Yain Migito. That's what I'm suggesting at the moment. Rav Yashiv, Allah Vashalom, as quoted in the book Shevut Yitzhak, indeed did take such a stance. In the general production fashion of grape juice, there's ways to do it otherwise. The general production, Rav Yashiv would say you can't use of Kiddusha or, or, or any other mitzvot that you need yayin for. To that extent, even with the Avad, Rav Shlomo Zalman Arba, Chacham Vadya Yosef, in his Hazon Ovadya, Chelek Alf Siman Vav, disagree with that sentiment. And their argument is, well, uh, even with that, uh, that chemical, it did begin at the time of pressing. It did begin at the time that you started the process. You may have paused the pot process, terminated it, but it was possible to intoxicate. That's considered yayin without a problem. And as a result, you can use it for kiddush. Lastly, with regards to the four cups on Pesach, can you use it for the four cups on Pesach? Maybe there it's different for some reason or another. Suffice it to say that in the book Urchot Maran, that's the Hanhagot uh, of Hacham Vadya Yosef, as his son Hacham David records, he says his father would for the as much time as he remembers, used for all cups of wine on Leo Pesach, uh, use, use grape juice. Uh, he had no problem doing so. The argument against doing so is that the Gemara Masech Pesachim says, 30 seconds, Gemara Masech Pesachim says that the Yayin is supposed to be a, a way of bringing forth Herut. Herut means it's liberating. Perhaps the liberation of the wine is the intoxicating nature. In fact, in the Haggadah called Dodi of Rabbi David Feinstein, Allah Shalom, he quotes from his father, Moshe finds that for that reason, you're not allowed to use grape juice for the Arba Kosot on Leil Pesach. Well, that being the case, maybe Arba Kosot should be different. The counter-argument, as Hacham Vadya Yosef has it, as Rabbi Ganak of the OU quotes from Rabbi Soloveitchik, is that, that herut, liberty, need not mean that it's intoxicating. Perhaps it means it's easier for you to drink. And as a result, if you can drink the wine, that's going to make you all down, and your mind's going to be off. You're not going to be able to, to have a regular seder on Leil Pesach. So then you can and should use grape Grape juice to the extent that it's quoted in the name Hamvadya Yosef. The reason he used grape juice, he explained to someone once, is how am I going to learn the rest of the night if I had four cups of wine? This is my herut, he was effectively saying. Baruch Amen, amen.